There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week on the Mike Wise Show, we welcome yet another Hall of Famer. He will be our 15th and is one of the most unique. He never dunked in a game, but some of his most memorable work has been above the rim. Are you intrigued? I am. <laughs> He's standing by, but first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thank you, Darlene. This is a very special episode that features a full video version on the Pure Hoops Media YouTube channel. We haven't done that since, shoot, Jeannie Buss joined us um, a while back. Andrew D. Bernstein, Andy to his friends and me, is the senior NBA photographer and the recipient of the Kurt Gowdy Media Award for print from the National, uh, the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. If you listen to this show, you you have experienced classic NBA moments as seen through his lens. He's also the host of a podcast called Legends of Sport, where his guest list is remarkable. Welcome, Andy. Thank you for sharing some time with us today. Hey, Mike, it's so great to see you, man. I can't even remember the last time we actually <laughs> saw each other in person. It was great to reconnect. Well, I can tell you exactly when it was because mm-hmm. you're you're memorable. And I also basically begged you to take a couple of shots of me and Shaquille O'Neal at his Hall of Fame induction five years ago wow. at the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. And so I have these great pictures of me and Shaq in his like monstrous orange jacket. <laughs> kids can't believe that there's any human that big in their was life. It, was and that so, five years ago, Mike? Holy I crap. know, it's crazy, right? I, I, it, I believe it was the... September of 2016, which is just great. It is. It's insane. Yeah. And it was a great class. It was, shoot, it was Shaquille O'Neal, big, the big names, Yao Ming and yeah. Alan Iverson. Yeah, that and was, it was a crazy class. Yeah. I have a picture, actually, that I took myself of Bill Walton and Yao Ming. Bill mm-hmm. Walton looks like me next to Shaq. It was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it's like one of the great, uh, you know, like whatever, whatever. Uh, that was a great Remember that moment where Shaq put Yao's jacket on him. Oh, and that's that right. Was, that was so great. Yeah, that was, that was, that was neat. And, yeah. Uh, and, and hard to believe it's now five years next month that Kobe retired. Can you believe is it? it? Wow. April that's 13th. Five years that he yeah. retired. Yeah. I feel like I watched that 60 point game yesterday. I tell me about it. I know it's just mind blowing and everything that's happened. It's just uh, incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to discuss your Hall of Fame career as a photographer, but I want to start with the podcast. You've been a high profile member of the basketball community for nearly four decades, but not as a host. What what made you decide to jump into the podcast space? (laughs) And don't tell me I saw that you did it. So I figured anybody could because that's true. I actually was going to say that, but no. I needed something to fall back on after 40 years. I don't know, Mike. No, what happened was um, about uh, seven, eight years ago, a couple of good friends of mine uh, and I created this platform called Legends of Sport. We both, I mean, all three of us had, you know, pretty busy careers. We didn't really know what was going to become of it, quite frankly. And I started to do a show concurrently on the Laker Laker TV network called through the lens where I would mm-hmm. sit with Jeannie Buss or, or Phil Jackson or James Worthy, a Laker personality and to talk about their career through my photos. It's yeah. kind of like sports reporters, but with actual visual visuals, you know? <laughs> so, um, and, and I took to that. I really enjoyed it. I had a great producer who taught me how to be relaxed and not worry about the cameras and all that, and just have a conversation. And I really found, Mike, that I I enjoyed, like you, you know, you've been doing this for so long. I just enjoyed talking to people and getting their stories and where they started. Mm. You know, I know so many people, but I don't really know, like, where it all started for them. And everybody's got a story, right? Sure. So everybody, yeah, go ahead. so, So fast forward, right? I'm at a Laker game. 
And the great Norm Pattis, good friend of mine, who you know, Norm sits yep. courtside. He's the guy who's always doing this with the <laughs> program, right? He sits right next to the Laker bench. I've known Norm for 30 years. He owns Podcast One at the time, uh, the platform. And he calls me over. He goes, Andy, been watching that Laker show you're doing. I got to get that on my podcast network. And I said, well, Norm, I love you. Thank you. It's flattering. But, you know, it's a visual show like we show in photos. Oh, yeah. And he says, we'll figure we'll figure it out. Come have lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so next day, go have lunch. Two and a half hours later, we hammer out this idea for a podcast. And it debuts on his podcast network. And we were there for two years. And now in this third season, we're partnered with the LA Times and distributed by them, and uh, as well as all the other big networks. But you know, I just did my 125th podcast today, and it was you know I love how many 125. But Bruce, I think he's got me by about 20 shows at least. Uh, <laughs> uh, is, yeah. is that accurate? Uh, I yeah. think this is show number 108 for you, Mike. Yeah, so, see, yes, I, Andy's, see I, Andy's plus 17. See, I'm, uh, I mean, he's, yeah, uh, now I feel really stupid because but, he's done more than me. He's more experienced at this than him. What am no. I even doing asking him the question? No, come crazy. on. Mike. But I ended up doing uh, doing a show every week when I was in the bubble last summer, which was really crazy. Doing yeah. it from a crazy hotel room on the Disney property. That was nuts. But that was, it was fun. And we cranked out some great stuff on the uh, restart of the NBA and the WNBA and the respective bubbles got a lot of traction and the, the times was behind it. And now we're, we're releasing every other week, which is great because mm -hmm. it's more time to prepare. And uh, it's, it's fun. I just love doing it. It's super fun. Well, I, I think what you said in the beginning is sort of what is, what's the story, what's your real story. And especially through your photos. Um, one of my uh, favorite things they used to do with the New York times magazine. And I have, I have like a, a kind of an Ollie collection behind me. Yeah. And the one up there, there's one where Ollie's walking with his hands in his pockets and um, he's walking through Harlem and, and it's a photo. I can't remember who took it, but the, uh, my friend, Catherine St. Jean, she was, she was in charge of the section. And the whole idea was taking a historic photo from, you know, back then of a person that might be prominent. And, and you ask them right then they go, what were you thinking? And they and and Ali's answer was tremendous, but all of them, you know, like every one was was memorable because some of them you just came out of the blue, some of it came out, you know. But it was like, what were you thinking in that moment? And uh, and you know, and it forces people, especially still photos, it forces them to go back and really, really, really think about it, like original deliberate thought. It's not just off the cuff of their head. And and video, it's in a weird way. I love video, um, and it's great, but there's there's another thing about still photos it sort of gives you that theater of the mind like you're almost there, there's an there's a I guess a little bit of an imagination that goes with it yeah and so well, you know it's so interesting you bringing that up because that's the, the exact experience I had with Kobe when we started doing our book the Mamba Mentality together mm -hmm. um you know, he would ask for very specific moments, right? And he would actually remember some photos that I shot specifically for each section of the book. But then I'd, I'd give him, like, say, a, a photo of the young Kobe against the veteran Jordan, you know, teacher-student mm -hmm. photo, which I thought, you know, it's a nice picture. It's been reproduced a gazillion times. And he, he could care less about the, like, photographic quality of the, of the picture. He would break it down by by muscle tone and where you know where he's leaning wow. and and in fact that photo of he and jordan leads off this that section and his caption for that photo is everything i'm doing in this picture is wrong <laughs> <laughs> i mean who does that that's their own book you know oh that's great yeah uh, so, he, that, so that's he, what he was ahead. thinking in the moment just like you were saying yeah he, he, you know, I, I, some people associate you with um, the NBA as a whole. I just, because you're in LA and because the Lakers were so successful um, during the time when I covered the NBA uh, between, shoot, I don't know, 95 and uh, 2000, like 20 years, like the Shaq Kobe years, all the things that went on with it. I feel like and I don't know this for sure, but I feel like of all the players you developed relations, relationships with that you covered and, and, and took pictures of, Kobe might have been Kobe might have been as close to someone um, that you ever got. 
Yeah, because, well, almost solely because he was in front of my camera the most uh, in yeah. 20 years. Now, you know, I covered all of Magic's career, all of James Worthy's career. Correct. Both of them were shorter. Obviously, Magic's significantly shorter. Um, but once Kobe came in, and I had done a lot with Shaq, too, but Shaq at that time, you know, was playing or Orlando at the first four or five years, right? So once Kobe came in, um, you know, I was I was – in, embedded with him basically for those 20 years of his career and then you know phil and i did our book together in in 20 uh 2009 10 and i was literally living with the team that entire season and kobe and i had just really established a great relationship um you know very professional but also on the personal side as well there was a tremendous amount of trust and uh i have i don't know an innate ability to know when to get in and when to get out on these behind the scenes moments. I think I learned that from Pat Riley, who was very clear as when he wanted me out. <laughs> and then Phil, Phil and I had a, had a kind of this, this like sort of tap dance kind of relationship where I always knew what Phil was thinking and when he didn't want me in the room and when he didn't care if I was in the room and Kobe was the same way, although Kobe was a lot more welcoming and forgiving. Um, but, <laughs> but he, but I did, understand what it meant to be discreet and what it meant to give him his time and you know not have a camera in his face basically so i think he respected that and he respected what i did you know just like with you as a journalist and all the journalists that covered him i i know for a fact how kobe respected what we do for a living and our job mm. is to cover him right and might not particularly like what you write right sometimes but, you know, Howard Beck tells this great story about he, how he and Kobe had this back and forth. Right. But then, but then, you know, Howard Tremendous. said to Kobe's credit, you know what? I know you got to do what you got to do as long as you're honest. Right. So yeah. that's what it's about. Yeah. I always found that, especially if I was, I was preparing to write something critical about someone, if I was either on the beat or covering the NBA and I, I could get access to them, I just go, I, I would tell them, I would say, look, I'm writing this. You might not like it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'd be, they, at least they didn't feel like I was betraying them in a weird way. Like I wasn't right. sort of the, the, the guy that piled up to them in the locker room and then would write something. Like I would, yeah, I would just say like, I would, you know, and, and it, when it was less about, I wouldn't get in. I, it was less about if, if their game had something to do with hurting the team. But I, the only time I really would, would sort of really try and make sure I was doing the right thing was if, it was a personal thing. Like there was a locker room issue and, yeah. and that was going in there and, and players to this day, shoot anybody for that matter, politicians, anybody. Like if I learned any, I tell classes this all the time. Like just, if you can get to the person or the PR person, just tell them what you're working on before mm -hmm. you run it. And they, you know, and that way they don't feel like they're blindsided. And most of the time, especially when they read things about them that are critical and they realize that it's true. They respect you more. Yeah. You know, they sort of like all of a sudden you're welcomed into this club of, oh wow, not only could he find shit out about me, but but um he would write it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and yeah, so at any rate, it's yeah. uh I don't know. I think I think the give and take is great. It's the biggest uh it's a weird trade-off because so many people now trade off sort of buddy issues for access mm -hmm. and you were never put in that position because you were essentially working for the nba yeah that's that was your true. job yeah and that that's a big big difference between what you would have to do and what i would have to do because um you know i i am not in the position to show or, or portray any negativity not that you were looking to do you know to yeah. write about something neg negative or find something negative to write about but that was part of your job right um you know, I, my job isn't about that. My job is really honestly to make them look as good as possible, whether it's on the court or off the court, or just show an honest representation of what goes on, especially behind the scenes. Um, mm -hmm. But never anything compromising or questionable or anything like that. You know, during the whole Shaq and Kobe sort of give and take era, which everyone continues to make a big deal about, you know, all I saw, quite honestly, was two guys <laughs> driven maybe by, you know, different engines, but needed each other and both wanted to win, you know, and they yeah. respected each other when they got, you know, to the arena and and when they were on the court together, they were lethal, right? Yes. So that's, yeah, I, that's my job. Yeah. That's my job.
Yeah, I, 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 there was a, it was a good drama, and it was obviously two young stars who mm-hmm. were, were both alpha males in many ways. But it's like they said later on, you know, shoot, if we had gotten over our own personal uh, stuff, we would have won five or six championships together. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, do you? So you? I mean, you know, I, I was in shock when he died. But I, even the anniversary, I remember thinking. This didn't happen. If I woke if, if if I woke up tomorrow and somebody told me, you know, that whole Kobe helicopter crash, that didn't really happen. It was just some bad dream. I would believe that because it just seems to this moment, this moment we're speaking right now, it is it it blows me away. It's it's like if you not that helicopter crashes with athletes and famous people don't happen, but it you know you know and not that any other person was supposed to go instead of Kobe, but the fact that it's one of the top five, seven players of all time. It's one of, it's this guy that's um, basically embarking on a post NBA career that is going to mean something. It's already meant something. And, and here he is, you know, finally getting the, whatever it is, the time to spend with his kids and his family that he never had as a retired guy and uh, or as a, as an active player. And it, I mean, I was floored. I can't imagine what it was like when you heard and where you were. Well, I was literally in this room <laughs> when mm. uh, when I heard about it. I had just taken it was a Sunday morning. I had just taken my daughter to um, to her Hebrew school class, which I do every do every Sunday before the pandemic. And my time, my wife gets that Sunday morning to herself at home, and my time is I come in the office, just clean up stuff, maybe just you know do a little housekeeping, whatever. Um, in the couple hours that she's at, in in school, and I go pick her up, and um, I don't really pay attention to my phone actually during that time. I have some loud Springsteen music on, I, as I always do. And uh, my phone is just like buzzing off the table at like around, I don't know, 10, 15, 10, 20. And uh, finally I look at it and friends are texting me. Is it true about Kobe? Is it true about Kobe? And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Right. And, and just as I'm reading that Joe Amati, who you might know from NBA photos, my mm. boss at NBA photos calls me. And he says, you have a TV there? I said, yeah. He says, turn it on. And uh, right there, you know, um, CNN was starting to report it, you know, based on the TMZ reporting. And he and I just just were speechless. I mean, I, mm. I literally was, I just could not believe what I was seeing. Mm. And fast forward a year later, I feel exactly the same way, exactly like you do. I cannot believe, I'm looking beyond my screen here, the entire wall is filled with pictures of him because I can't not look at him every day. You know? oh, yeah. And on top of that, the building owner in the complex I'm in, I'm in and I have commissioned a muralist to do a mural from one of my photos outside, that's literally going to be outside my window so I could see see him every moment of every day. That's and, the, awesome. and the public will enjoy it too. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, um, I, yeah, I just... I just remember when it happened going into people would call and whatever it was, uh, PBS or um, whoever, news hour, I would go on and I would do something. And then I was working at the CBS DC in Washington and CBS affiliate in Washington. And I would do something for them. And I would go on the late news and talk about, you know, you know, my peripheral relationship with them more than uh, a real personal one. But, yeah. but at any rate it was, and then it didn't take me, it took me about three days when, when I sort of like was stopped doing the interviews and 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 I wasn't the wanted media guy anymore. And my, my son and I were watching it and he just goes, dad, he doesn't, dad, he's, he was only 40. He was yeah. only, was he 38? Yeah. He goes, he wasn't 40. He, he goes, he's, he's not going to get to see his kids anymore. I lost it. I yeah. mean, I lost it because it's like sort of all, all of a sudden it's like, it didn't matter that Kobe Bryant was the most famous, one of the most famous basketball players on the planet. Didn't matter whether he was, he touched all these lives. It matter. He was a dad and he's yeah. gone and his kids weren't going to see him. It's like, that was, that hit home harder than anything. Yeah. And his child went with him. And then, you know, oh, Gianna, the, did you know her very well? Yeah, of course. Since he was a, a newborn. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, all those moments of him bringing Natalia and, and Gigi to the games as they were little, you remember during the finals and he'd bring yeah. them up on the, on the podium. Oh, it's great. And, and then I'm thinking of Vanessa, like how, how is this woman going to literally, how is she going to go on? I mean, and yeah. 
the strength that she showed at the memorial. My wife was watching it at home. Mm. And thank, thank God, honestly, Mike, that the family had asked me to photograph the memorial. I was mm. only, the only photographer on the floor because I, I, don't, I couldn't. Wow. I mean, I was literally shooting and crying, like the viewfinders filling up with tears. It was unbelievable. Ugh. The strength that she showed and continues to show um, is, is so amazing to me and uh, is such a statement of the kind of person that she is. Man, um, I was thinking the start of your career uh, with the NBA also coincided with the start of Michael Jordan's NBA career. And your shot of Michael and his late father with the O'Brien Trophy after the 1991 championship uh, has to be one of the most memorable photos. It took place in a crowded locker room, yet it appeared as if as if Michael and his father were all alone with that trophy. What, what do you remember about that moment? Oh, Mike, that that it, 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 I remember like it was yesterday, quite honestly. Mm. Like you said, the Bulls won the championship at the Forum. Now, you remember the old Forum Visitors Locker Room, right? Yes. <laughs> it was, essentially uh, like it was a cracker box. Yeah, it was like a glorified men's room, basically. Right. right? And it was yeah. so small. And they used to let everybody in there right away. There was no like, you know, vetting mm. of people or credentials, or, you know, as soon as the championship was won. People flooded into the locker room. The team came in champagnes flying all over the place. And at the same time, um, some genius said, Oh, well, let's do the live trophy presentation from the locker room. <laughs> right? wow. That's what they were doing in those days. So the network, I think it was CBS uh, constructed like a makeshift stage in the corner. They got cameras jammed in there, producers, everybody, and they're, they're presenting the trophy to the Bulls, to the team. And, you know, Michael's up there. The whole team is up there. All hell is breaking loose. Mm. And the only vantage point I can get is the folding table in the middle of the, of the locker room, which all the teams have. You've seen it a million times. Mm -hmm. The tickets and the gum and all this stuff. Right. The, 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 the nutritional spread. Exactly. I jump up mm. on, on this table. Thank God I was pretty <laughs> light at the time. So I could see above everybody and get that photo. And then they go to commercial and they want to come back and interview Michael one-on-one -on -one, and nobody can find Michael. They're like, and people are screaming and the champagne flies chaos. Right. Sure. <laughs> and I'm up on this table and all, I don't know, there's some sixth sense or some voice said, look to your left. And I go like this and I'm, I mean, literally six feet away from me. There he is in the locker with his dad holding the trophy, crying his eyeballs out. Oh. Nobody had actually seen him yet at that moment. And then I turned, That's... clicked two frames, and he got bombarded, and then they yanked him to do the interview. <laughs> but those it. two frames were those two frames are etched in history. Yeah, it's crazy. You know what's crazy yeah. is in the last dance, um, they they showed that moment on video, and then they 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 stop the frame and you can actually see me in the ball of of the trophy because it's so reflective you can ah. see me and my camera my flash in the photo in like that moment that was nuts i was i was blown should, away by that you should you should pause still pause that and <laughs> and get a photo of that i think yeah. that should be your credential from now on yeah right that would be <laughs> Yeah, but oh, if, I'm, man. if I'm remembered for one photo in my career, I, I would love it to be that one because yeah. not only was it a significant moment at the time, you know, Michael's winning his first championship. None of us knew how many were going to be in front of him, but he's there with his dad, which of course was very poignant. And when his dad passed away about six months later, I got a, a call from Michael's office asking, saying that Michael had requested a print for his office of that photo. And would I mind sending it to him? And mm. I, yeah, of course. So the fact that he has that hanging somewhere, you know, means a lot to me. It's your photo. Yeah. Um, the 92 Dream Team, which Michael was a part of, it, obviously the, the most famous international basketball team of all time. And I think it will always be that because it was the first team of professional players um, that weren't there weren't that weren't paid Eastern Europeans at the time, <laughs> and um, I don't know. I just think that, like, do, when you're when you're with those guys and you're hanging out with all the people from NBA TV that are filming that for posterity's sake, 
are, are you realizing it's history at the time? Are you thinking, hey, it's just the guys I've been filming and they're all together this time? Or do, or do you, in your, even then, you know, is there a self-awareness button in your head going, wow, I'm part of, I'm part of the shit, man. This is it. Yeah, it, it hit me pretty early, Mike. I got to tell you, you know, I got assigned to, to be with the team from the beginning in San Diego, the very first meeting of the team. Seven weeks later, you know, through San Diego, <laughs> Portland, Monaco, Monaco, Barcelona. Seven weeks later, they're getting the gold medal, you know, and I was there every day. Um, and I did have to pinch myself, honestly. I, I How much did friend. you make at that point? How much did you make at that point? Just like, know. like roughly. Money wise? Yeah, roughly. What did you make about that? I mean, it's I a long time. I don't even remember, honestly. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember. I was, uh, let's see, that was 92. I wasn't an employee of the NBA yeah. yet. It was a window of time when I was. So I was a freelancer. I don't know. I, you were I, making I freelance money. Whatever you made, you need to yeah. send it back to the, the the Hall of Fame. Like nobody should be able to do that for uh, for for and get paid for it. Yeah, right. You should have been was, doing it. That was God's work, and you should have been doing it. It was you're you're hundred percent right. I always say it's the best assignment I ever had. And if I could oh, have retired man. after that, man, it would have been a good career. But I was kind of <laughs> my career was just sort of getting off the ground at that point. Um, but it was, was, was everybody, were, were, I mean, they, they obviously knew you as the photographer um, on, you know, on the beat with them. Was yeah. everybody friendly, nice, or were they oh, like, all yeah. right, take it easy here. This is our off season. It was so great. In fact, I brought my dad, who was a huge sports fan, and probably oh. I got into sports photography was because of my bonding over sports with my dad. I brought him to Monaco and, uh, and to Barcelona. So he became a fixture of the team to the point where the guys started referring to him as Zelig. Because remember Zelig? Yeah, movie? yeah, right. Like every time, every time I took a picture, this is true. Almost every time I took a picture, this my dad is like in the background somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> he's where? Where's Waldo? Yeah, so I think Terry Lyons or Brian or somebody referred to Zelig again. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they were incredibly nice. In fact. My dad met Michael's dad um, during that whole experience. So we kind of bonded over that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember like just little bits and pieces, um, but that, that bird game in Portland where it was sort of turned back the clock mm -hmm. and he started making like, even after his back surgery, he was like hitting these jumpers out of his ear and yeah. he was doing everything he could possibly. And it was like, wow, like yeah. he still had it. And it was, um, it was, you know, he, he had a decent Olympics, but he wasn't one of those star players because of his yeah, body, he, but it was still, it was yeah. still so much fun to watch them play together. Oh, it was crazy. And then, you know, it's legendary. I'm sure you've talked about it, you know, many times on your podcast, but the practices were just oh. off the chart. I mean, off the chart, dude, they, you know, I wasn't at the practice that everyone talks about, but I was at an, enough of them and the ones in San Diego were pretty intense as well. You know, they lost that first scrimmage. The dream team lost the first scrimmage to that that group of college guys. And oh yeah, yeah, that was yeah the the Leitner. Um, yeah. like, uh, I think Alan Alan Houston was on that team. Chris Weber, yeah. Chris Weber, yeah. And so, like, when that happened, it was like, all right, this isn't this is not going to be a cakewalk. Okay, we are not. This is not vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Michael and Magic were like, okay, we're going to go to work, and uh, they worked. Yeah. I mean, they had fun. They partied. They had a great time. You know, we were in Monaco for two weeks. Let's not forget. But they knew when to when to bring it, and uh, you know. The competition wasn't quite up to the task, <laughs> but even well, that just, experience yeah. of watching the other teams ask for selfies, like during a game. <laughs> uh, uh, it's uh, yeah. Whenever you're, <laughs> you know, it's over when you, you're trying to get autographs from the guys you're playing. I thought, um, yeah. you know, Bark, everybody remembers Barkley elbowing the Angolan player. Right. And, um, and it became this sort of like the, the ugly American photo. But, but, but what I remember was one of your famous photos was Charles with the little rubber ducky. How did yeah. that shot come about? Well, that was, that was when he got traded to Phoenix. And uh, Sports Illustrated called me and they said, we want you to get a photo of Charles in Phoenix. It was a big story, right, at the time. And mm. it needs to say Phoenix, like that Charles is now like in the desert, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, I'll take him out to some cactus and, you know, get a sunset or rocks or something. He didn't want any part of that. Charles is like, nope, <clears throat> you got to come to practice. And whenever you can get it practice, that's going to be it. So I'm like sweating bullets because I don't know what the hell 
to get. And I go to practice and our good friend, Julie Fye has given me great oh. access. Julie Fye, by the way, has been on two podcasts in, in this week. The you remember uh, Grant Napier, the, um, yeah, the, the play-by-play the guy for, yeah, he, he had me on his podcast mm-hmm. recently and Julie Fye came up repeatedly. Um, yeah. what, what a godsend she yeah, is. Yeah, she's amazing. I love her to death and what a great person of quality professional she is. And I think she's the longest tenured PR person in the league now, right? Yeah, I, you know what? I need to have her. I need to have her on. Yeah, she's great. She, she'd be great because she wouldn't give you every piece of dirt. In fact, she wouldn't give you any. But <laughs> but just the but just the the particles next to that dirt was better than half the stuff that most people would give us on these podcasts. That's true. But <laughs> uh, but on that story, I so I don't know. She gave me full access. I'm walking through the locker room and mm. the training room. They have that hot tub, and there's Charles in the hot tub. There's a rubber ducky like on the other side, which seems very <laughs> weird to me that a professional sports team would have a rubber ducky. And I said to him, Do you, you know, can I get you with the rubber ducky? He goes, yeah. So he brings it over and that's the picture. It means nothing about Phoenix. You just, you, 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 it was one of the great pose shots of all time. Can I get you with that rubber ducky? <laughs> that's got to be one of the great lines in your career. And he's got that that, that Charles like look on his face, the big grin, you know. It's, it's, yeah. Anyway. It didn't fulfill the assignment in any way, shape, or form, but at least it, it made for a fun picture to put in the magazine. <laughs> when I started uh, becoming aware of you, I, I didn't actually, I was one of those late bloomers. Well, no, let's just call it, nobody would give me a job till I was like 30. And I had this job at the Sacramento Union, but I didn't, you know, I didn't get a job until the New York Times hired me. Um, and I didn't, and and it was like 1994. But, I, but like where I knew about Andy Bernstein before even I knew you was, Sort of, there was this magic, magic and bird shot, uh-huh. you know, is, and yeah. one that's it's that photo of them on either side of the O'Brien Trophy breaking out in laughter, <laughs> and you know, I look back at that, and because men, magic and bird were sort of the last guys that came down off my sort of bedroom walls, is sort of like, okay, I'm not a fan anymore. Mm-hmm. I got to give up these guys. I got to cover this sport, and I got to cover these people. But it was hard to give them up, and I, and you know, I, this is too much information i'd have dreams where they would pick me up in like a jeep wrangler and i would be on their team and like and i would wake up and i was just disappointed about my life when magic and bird weren't picking me up in a jeep wrangler and so so bottom line is like i like anytime i got with them after i started covering it as a regular i tried to play it off like i'm the new york times guy and i caught you know went up to bird's hall of fame's uh yeah induction and it was so cool but part, the other part of me was like Holy Toledo, this is so cool. I'm covering them. You you had relationship with those guys. Talk about that photo. What was the story behind that one? Oh, Mike, that was one of the most nerve-wracking situations of my career. So when was that? Well, so this was uh okay, let's let's put it in perspective. 86. Yeah. Celtics win the, the championship, right? They beat Houston. Beat 86. the Rockets in six. So in 87, um, they were projected to meet each other, right? So Sport Magazine um, projects Lakers Celtics finals in 87. But, you know, as you know, the magazine comes out before the finals and the only time to get Magic and Bird together would be in February. You know, the finals don't start till June. In February, when the Celtics came through LA to play the Lakers, the one of two times they played each other, right? So picture this, all right, picture this happening today. It's a 1230 game day on a Sunday. I have to go to, I, I'm pretty sure it was Josh Rosenfeld at the time and Jeff Twiss, and, and I have to make the request. Sport Magazine for their cover wants to have Magic and Bird posed together and the only time we have to do it is before a 1230 national game on Sunday. Oh. <laughs> And they both were like, are you crazy? I said, well, it's got to get done. And uh, they they asked the guys. The guys said, okay, you know, you got. From- this is how great PR was back then, by yeah, the way. You have from. Josh Rosenfeld, the Lakers PR director, Jeff Twist, yes. the Celtics PR director, have such a relationship that they could call in a favor with the two greatest players in not just their franchise's history, but two of the greatest players in the history of the game. And they basically said, I know you guys are rivals, but you know, you're starting to respect each other. You already did the commerce. Can you do this for us on a game day in the middle of the season? Like, yeah. you, like, and, and I'm not saying that. 
be our directors bad anymore, but they're just faced with so much more because of the, these guys are so walled around them with people that re represent them and people oh, yeah. that um, yeah. portend to represent them. And so what you get into is sort of a lot of PR directors by their own admission become more protectors than facilitators. Yeah. And these guys I, were like, yeah. we know that these guys need to be on this cover of this magazine. We know Andy Bernstein needs to get a shot. How right. awesome is that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so this, I was, you know, like I, was, like I can look back on it now as to for the access and everything we get right now, and I can go, that's awesome. I'm told I have between ten, eleven fifty and eleven fifty two to get this picture. And yep. if you remember the configuration of the forum locker rooms, the visitors locker room, there was a little like sort of hallway, and then across from it was a Laker girls locker room, and then a, a spare locker room. So I had my stuff set up in there, very easy, simple portrait setup. They were going to both, each PR guy was going to bring those guys in, right? Hmm. And I had to be ready. So my idea was like, was like two fighters, you know, the old posters of the two boxers looking right. at each other. Ali Frazier. Yes, yeah, st staring each other down with the trophy on a pedestal, like a Greek pedestal, um, like in between them, right? And so I get them in there. I say, guys, you know, I got very little time. This is what I want to do. I need you guys looking straight at each other, like the meanest expression you can have, ready to go. And they're like, yeah. I go three, two, one. And just as I'm about to click the trigger, they just crack up. <laughs> <laughs> and Magic looks at me and goes, man, we can't do this. <laughs> That's I'm great. Like, whatever you could give me, fellas, you know, and I took four. It, frames, four it goes to show you, though, it, the, 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 uh, the organic idea worked better with the yeah. magic hat, whatever, whatever they came to mind. Right. But that's the story behind that photo. Oh, think, oh, they were telling each other a joke or something. No, it was me directing them and then just not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was hilarious. Uh, there was another memorable shot. I think it was Julia serving and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar the trophy. But unlike the bird magic shot, they're looking at each other like two fierce warriors. Like you want to be ready to go at each other. Do you remember what the vibe was between them at that moment? Because here's Doc, the doctor, very proud guy. Yeah. Um, and, and Kareem as, you know, who is as articulate and, and, and good a man he is. Yeah. Um, it isn't a, it doesn't cut up the room like some other people. Um, I'm wondering what that moment was like. Well, that was the uh, preview for the 83 finals. Same kind of scenario. Yeah. Philadelphia came in, yeah, I don't know, in January or something. And uh, whoever I was shooting it for, it could have, I, I think it possibly was for the NBA because I remember that it was reproduced on the old NBA Today tabloid publication that was the only publication the NBA had at the time. Mm. And my idea was to to have them sort of a little bit kind of wrestling with the trophy, but tremendous respect between those guys. I remember when they both came in, um, they chatted, they, there was total respect there mm -hmm. and they took direction perfectly. And, you know, I got him in, got him out, you know, but the same scenario it was a game night. Um, never in a gazillion years would that ever happen again. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, but I'm glad man. that I had those opportunities. That was the year that was the year that the uh, Sixers yeah. the Lakers that was your they, it was, they were due forever and they finally did it that year. Um, yeah, I mean we were trying to re to um to kind of reproduce that photo again with LeBron when he was at Cleveland and Curry one of those four years that they played each other in the finals and I suggested it and they basically laughed me out of the room. <laughs> I said like, are you nuts? That you couldn't, you couldn't get them both together like that or that it would just be too hard. No, it would just never happen. This right. is right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you did do a book with Phil Jackson and it chronicled the Lakers 2010 championship season, which uh, before this current one was their last. Um, I still look at shoot um, the back to back um, wins in 2009, 2010. And I, I think, was that, yeah, it was both, but I covered the whole 2009 series. I, I look back at that and I thought it was such a, so great for Kobe because, mm -hmm. you know, irrespective of how great Shaq was, he finally did it without Shaq. And Pau Gasol's going to be a Hall of Famer in his own right, because, especially because of his international career as well. Mm -hmm. But he was not one of the top 10 centers of all time. And he certainly he was a great passing center and he was, he could do a lot of things. Kobe, I think, recognizes him as his favorite teammate. Mm -hmm. But um, 
but he didn't have, I mean, he, there was a Trevor Reza, there was, and, the, and, and, and all those years sort of were after Smush Parker and which Phil of course realized the triangle didn't work as well with, but mm. the bottom line is like he, he, he rose to another level there and Phil and him put a lot of bygones behind them because Phil was openly critical of them and Kobe as well. What, what do you remember about that, uh, that project and, and anything that comes to mind about Phil in that moment? Well, I think you had to back up to 2008 when uh, the Lakers lost to the Celtics in the finals mm -hmm. and Kobe was devastated. I mean, he talked very openly about it and that he literally would not retire until he avenged that loss. Right. Mm -hmm. So they get to the promised land again in, in 2009 against Orlando. And I think, honestly, I think he was disappointed <laughs> that they didn't get to play the Celtics in 2009. That's right. But, um, but there was a lot riding on it. Like you said, Mike, you know, Kobe and Phil had, had a strained relationship at that point and they had mended, mended the fence. Um, but there was some lingering stuff in terms of how, how much Kobe had to take on as the leader of this team, which like you said, didn't have maybe the premier top level, you know, championship talent around him um, that he was used to when he, you know, was playing with Shaq. Um, but he, you know, he took Pau Gasol's game to a new level, of course. And uh, they won it in 2009. And I think it was incredibly vindicating for Kobe and, and empowering that he could take a team on his back and win a championship. And then of course they get there in 2010 and I had yeah. spent the whole year with the team and he was just on a mission. I mean, he, there was just no chance that the Celtics were going to be, was, were going to beat him again. Um, and he took that on very personally. And uh, he, he very openly said that that championship was the sweetest of the five that he had won because yeah. of everything involved with it. And he cited Jerry West, you know, losing to the Celtics six times and all the Lakers Celtic history and all that stuff. Um, but there were a lot of, uh, a lot of demons at play there and, you know, he was able to overcome and, and to bring it home. Um, an incredible accomplishment, amazing accomplishment. I always thought that to me, one of the, I called it, um, what did I call it? The, the knucklehead quotient. And I always say that if, if your player, um, I'm sorry, if your team, your best player and your coach can get what players what would be known as former knuckleheads of the NBA ring. It means something like, like I, I think of like Isaiah Ryder got a ring with yeah. the Lakers. Yeah. Uh, Ron Artest now met a world peace, got a ring with the Lakers. Mm -hmm. JaVel McGee, I think got a ring with the, with the Warriors. It showed me the greatness of Steph Curry. He got JaVel McGee a ring. <laughs> like it's so, you know, Rodman, a former knucklehead before he joined the Bulls and now a Hall of Fame. But I look yeah. at like you're a, a franchise, uh, a franchise's uncanny ability to take the maybe the biggest pain in the ass uh, the NBA has ever known mm -hmm. and transform that person into a winner, I think is like genius. And mm -hmm. Phil did it and Kobe did it numerous times with yeah. numerous well, players. Well, Phil, Phil was the master at, at, at you know, mental I don't, I don't want to call them mental games, but being able to get the guys to buy in, first of all, to the system, to the triangle. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, to mentally prepare them. And he was very radical in his, in his methods, going back to the bulls <laughs> days, you know, with, with uh, meditation and saging the locker room and yeah. all the Zen stuff, which people say is a lot of mumbo jumbo, but I don't think it was because it worked, <laughs> you know, well, he got no, and, rings yeah. at it. Don't no, completely. I think you're right. And I, I think that people forget Phil was Phil, Phil had a lot of old school in him too. And, and the one that like people talk about, Oh, he was, you know, Jeff, Jeff Van Gundy used to make fun of him and sort yeah. of, you know, and, but, but the bottom line is the guy was it, it's like John Wooden, John Wooden's whole thought was I, I need to find a way to get these guys to give themselves to the good of the group. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what Phil Jackson's philosophy was. He do, he went about it differently, but it worked. And yeah. anybody, any coach, shoot, any person that's a CEO of a company, if you can get your, if you can get people that are very good at what they do to give themselves to the good of the group and think beyond, 
you've got success. And, yeah. you know, yeah. and so and and I look the, at the guys, so just the people who took pictures with you, remember yeah. Jen Podheiser, um, yeah. Nat Steve, like all these, uh, wait, not yeah. Nat, Nat, Steve, Butler. Nat Butler, Nat Butler, I'm thinking Cat Stevens. Don't tell <laughs> Nat Butler that, but all the, like you had to, you weren't for, so you were with a great team of people. It wasn't just you. Oh yeah. We, we still going strong. I, you know, I'm knocking on wood here, but so many of my uh, colleagues are still out there. You know, Nat, of course, 35 plus years, got Scott Cunningham in Atlanta, I think is over 40 now. 40 wow. Years. Um, you know, so many incredible photographers. I, I, there are three former assistants of mine that are now longtime tenured team photographers in the league. So, um, Wait, who know, are they? what's that? Who are they? We got Garrett, Garrett Elwood in, okay. uh, in Denver. Um, you got Barry Gossage in, in Phoenix, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to count Nat in any way as an assistant, but Nat, you know, senior NBA photographer like me for so many years, but um, started literally as an assistant to me the first year or two back in 85, 86. So we're a very close-knit group. Um, there aren't a lot of job opportunities. You know, there's only... There's only 28 jobs for the 30 teams because yeah. Matt and I cover both, you know, he covers the two New York area teams. I cover the two LA teams and uh, there's not a lot of turnover, but the mm. young people, the young photographers that have um, come into the league are very impressive. And uh, it's great to have fresh blood and, and new ideas and people who actually understand the digital technology that the old dinosaurs like us don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're a good group led by Joe Amati at NBA Photos. And, mm. uh, you know, it's been interesting covering the league the way we've had to during the pandemic, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're off the court. We're not under the basket where we used to be, but we've adapted. And um, I think things will come back when they're ready to come back the way they used to be. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this the way... Um... I get the best for last, in my opinion, because when I looked at your guest list over the last three years and Bruce sent the guys to me, I'm like, wait a minute. These are some of the same people, Bill Walton, Isaiah Thomas, Grant Hill, Bruce Bowen, Mike Breen and and David Stern. That one jumped out at me because as people know, David, David's final on camera sit down was with us and it was around Halloween 2019. And. You know, he. I was fortunate enough that he, because basically his relationship with the great Bruce Bernstein, mm -hmm. um, no relation to you, by the way, but who knows? As we talked about before this this began, we're all a member of the tribe. He has usurped my name. Just yes, just he's a suit with David Stern. I can see that. I could see Bruce doing that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, at any rate, you know, we we're in, we he gives us over an hour in his office. It's a remarkable conversation, mm -hmm. not just because he was funny, playful, and. And it was almost like his final press conference where I could ask something and he would almost, you know, why shut up? And, and it was, you know, it was David at his best and yeah. it revealed the side of his personality that I wish came out more when he was the commissioner, which was really endearing. Mm -hmm. And that he was, you know, maybe he was abusive, but he was also, uh, he was the most caring ball buster I ever met. Like he really, he said things for a reason. And if he didn't say anything, he really, it was the classic, he didn't care about you. So, and we, you know, my favorite line, I literally go at one point, I'm sitting there and I go, you know, I, I hate to say this, but there are times when people said you were an asshole and David looks at me and he goes, puts his finger, both his fingers on his chest like this. And he goes, moi, <laughs> I mean, you couldn't make it up like, like me. No, never. And he just was so, I don't know. He's so maybe self-aware, thoughtful, more. He had a real self-reflection that I didn't see coming. Mm -hmm. Um, you yeah. had him on your podcast. Well, um, yep. do you, do you remember that? Um, you, you know, we, do you remember, you know, did he surprise you with any of his re revelations in February of 2019 when you had him on? Well, first of all, he was so incredibly gracious to allow me to come to his office and tape, you know, podcast there. And, um, so you got the same office we did. Yeah, same office. Oh. And he's got, you know, photos of mine on the wall that I took that I had sent to him or he had printed. <clears throat> so, you know, we're talking about that. He was incredibly relaxed. You know, I go back to the days with David that we, we the, the core, you know, the nucleus of what the NBA was at the time. Yeah, you know, we called him Uncle David. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, you know, I mean, 
he wasn't Uncle David by the time he retired because, you know, he'd become this gigantic corporation, but he was still approachable and he always had a good word. Um, I, you know, obviously had to be on my toes every time I was with him and um, be incredibly professional. And he respected that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I had given, when I got the, the Naismith Award, the Kurt Gowdy Award at the Hall of Fame, I go up on the stage to accept the award and who is sitting front and center staring, like literally staring right up at me. He's like, okay, kid, what do you got? <laughs> and that's uh, great. It was intimidating Mike. Uh, but then I turned it around in my head and I became very grateful to David and everyone else I saw out there in the audience for, you know, everything that happened in my career was really due to all those people. And um, that's good. That's intimidating though. No, it was. If, if it someone, it yeah, was. Just, it um, was. And I, I, yeah. And but I embraced the moment, and uh, hopefully I rose to it. I don't know. But when we did the when I did the podcast, um, he was great. I mean, you know, we got into all kinds of stuff, all kinds of questions, like about opening up China and what that meant, and mm. and what he th was thinking in the moment. Then he told some stories I hadn't even heard about or knew about about. Um, the Communist Party in, in Russia <laughs> and how they yeah. controlled basketball, you know, and all the deals, you know, any sponsorship deal had to like basically go through the Communist Party, you know. Was, well, and he did he talk about that moment with me and probably with you where he sort of when do you realize that this can become, become a global game? And he's <laughs> he, I think it was with some of these former, you know, uh, yeah. KGB guys that are now head of whatever little basketball organization it was at the time, Russia. And, yeah. and they're, and they're like, uh, you think, you think Savonis can play in the NBA? You think you play? <laughs> and they're he's like, what? These guys want Savon? Like, it's not a, it, that's not a defection anymore. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's sort of like that. There was that moment that you just heard, like you could see. And he said, I knew it right then. I knew yeah. it. They wanted this. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. so I thought that, you know, that, that he just, I mean, he was such a, whatever, clairvoyant. Uh, he was so prescient about things. Bruce Bernstein, please join us for a minute because I know you know David real well. And Anything you could add, an Uncle David story would be great. <laughs> At the end of 2017, when I was granted my free agency by ESPN, um, I called David's <laughs> office and I spoke to Linda Tossi, his assistant. And right. I, I said, you know, Linda, uh, I'd really like to you know, talk to David if I could, whatever. So she puts him on the phone. And I said, David, um, I could, you know, I told him what happened with, with ESPN. I said, I could really use some big brotherly advice. And I think you're just the person to give it to me. Is there any chance that I could take a ride down to New York City and, you know, just talk to you for a few minutes? And he said, yeah. He said, you know, work it out with Linda. And, you know, so I did. And I, so I came down on the train and I figured, all right, I'm going to spend, if I get 30 minutes with David, I'll be really like happy. Well, it was about an mm -hmm. hour and 15 minutes. And we, I mean, mm -hmm. I used to work with him on the NBA draft. I was in charge of pushing him out, pulling him back in, blocking him from going out when he thought the show was going too slow because he always wanted to go boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and he used to give me a really hard time. He was, because as Andy said, <laughs> David could be a very demanding boss and you kind of had to really be on your toes. So mm -hmm. he sits in his on the sofa and he's talking to me. He looks at me, he's here. You know, I was pretty tough on you sometimes. Well, I said, I said, yeah, you were. He's there. Do you know why I did that? And I said, well, because you could. He's there. Well, yeah, but I was just trying to toughen you up. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. But he was a wonderful, wonderful. Man. He really did become a friend because after 11 years of, I used to joke. You know Tom Corelli. You guys both know Tom Corelli, and Tom and I used to be together yeah. during the draft. I said, TC. I'm the only guy in this building that can tell David Stern what to do. And he's got to have to listen to me, <laughs> which wasn't really true. <laughs> wasn't really true, but it kind of yeah. was because if I said, look, they're in a commercial break, you can't go out there. He kind of understood that, but he was a wonderful man. And yeah. I, I truly loved him. He was a great friend at the end and I miss him so much. Oh God. Yes. What a loss. And you know, he died the same month Kobe did um, last January, January 1st. Kobe died 26 days later. And it was the start of a horrendously terrible year uh, for all of both, us. Both shocks, by the way, even though yeah. David Stern was 
what was he? Seventies? How old? Yeah, was and he, he had had. Yeah, he had had. Uh, he well, he's been in the hospital for two weeks or so. Yeah, but 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 I mean, shoot, when we went to see him, he was all worried about his wife. Yeah, uh, yep, and yep. because just she had just heart issues. Yes. Right. Yeah, and she just gone through and. And if you had told me that he was going to have a stroke and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he was going to, that it would just, I mean, when, when he went in, when he went into the hospital and didn't come out, it was just, that was yeah. shocker on yeah. many levels. Um, he just yeah. was one of those guys. I remember asking him during the thing, like, well, don't you just want to like take off some time? And he goes, why? I, I like working. I like working. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was a, he wanted to be doing something. He, he really yeah. wanted to. Well, well, you know, well I want to get a plug in also and, and piggyback on what Bruce said, but get a plug in for some of the people that David surrounded himself with. Mm. As you, you know, you mentioned Tom Corelli. I mean, people like Ski Austin, you know, Bal Ackerman, Rick mm. Welts, you know, Russ Granick. I mean, you know, Terry Lyons and, and Brian McIntyre, our dear friends. I yeah. mean, these were people at the top of their profession that David, you know, had running this organization and he knew how to he knew how to recognize talent and he knew how to push them and push the buttons that he needed to and rick welts and i have talked about that many times and you know it was a talent that uh, it, it, very rare i think in management that you know he wasn't really leading by intimidation but he was leading by this this shared vision that he got everybody to buy in on you know yeah. it was yeah, a I, magical I, time no, it really was. Yeah. And the, the, and these sort of, there are grumblings that he was sort of over the top and he'd, he'd F-bomb you to death and all that. And, I, and you know, I, just like there, there are millions of coaches out there that'll tell you, coach hates me. He sucks. Yeah. There, there are a lot more who say, hey, coach, coach <laughs> got me to do the things I needed to, to be the best I am. And David, David Stern was the ultimate um, hard love teacher. Mm -hmm. That you go back to high school and you go, you know what, you kicked my ass, but I needed to have my ass kicked. And you did it because you knew that I, you know, you knew how I, who, how I would respond to it. And, yeah. and, and shoot, I even, even the times we had rows over things I wrote, just the way he dealt with me, it was, I don't know, he just, he just, it was really a special time. Man, this has been good stuff. You know, I didn't even get into, I do a whole new podcast on, you growing up in Brooklyn and anytime and going I, into Midwood High School and I yeah. you know just like your dad I I I, I want to say one of your inspirations was your father mm -hmm. um, coming up but but I imagine there was um there, like there was I always if you could leave our listeners with or and our viewers with one thing like a fork in the road moment for you where you weren't sure what you were going to do in life, what you're going to be. And all of a sudden it went that it went the way you needed it to go, or you made a decision. I love those stories. So if you, yeah. if, if anything comes to your mind um, and I think, um, and while yeah. people are watching this are probably watching a catalog of your photos run too. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple, but one is one specifically was I was going to the university of Massachusetts. I really loved photography. I was doing photography for our daily newspaper um, but I wasn't really learning the craft of photography, um, all the artistic stuff I needed to learn, technical stuff. I was really learning on the fly. There were no classes at UMass mm. that taught me that. And I had to make a really difficult decision. I mean, I was enjoying UMass, um, had a great set of friends. It was near, it was close to home. Um, but I decided that if this was going to be my career, and I remember I was 18 years old, just about to turn 19, that I have to, I have to ratchet it up. I have to find a school that can really teach me this stuff and get me prepared for a career. And I, I decided to transfer to Art Center College of Design in, in Pasadena, California, which was like you know the other side of the world for me, and did it. And uh, you know, thank God I did, and I did it then because it was the right time. Opened up some doors for me. Um, I had teachers that believed in me, even though I was. I was told many times at Art Center that this is not what we teach here. <laughs> You're not going to get a career out of this. But, you know, Brooklyn guy doesn't give up. And you tell me I can't do something. Of course, you know, what does that mean? I'm going to go do it even more. So that was a pivotal moment. The second one, Mike, I just got to <coughs> sure. say one more thing is that my goal had always been once I became a photographer to get the cover of Sports Illustrated, because if, if I got that cover, it means that I have entered into that elite group, you know, that 
they can't ever take that cover away from me. And when that happened in 85 at the Lakers champion for the Lakers championship, um, I felt like, wow, this is, was all worth it up until now. And I can wait, is that the, that's not the baby skyhook. That's 87. No, you know, no, that this was a, a really bizarre picture of Kareem, quite frankly, against the Celtics where, where, um, Danny Ainge is like reaching in and I had the most bizarre position on the court. They put me on the sideline, like sort of free throw line extended on the sideline. No, but they don't do that anymore. Obviously. Yeah. I got this just moment of Kareem, like making a move. You can see Casey Jones and the Celtic bench behind, of course, all the Celtic bands kind of an innocuous moment, quite frankly, but they liked it. And, uh, I got the call that as we were going to the White House that next day, <laughs> I got the call that I got the cover. And uh, it, it that really kind of, you know, kind of validated everything up until that point for me. That is amazing. In fact, Bruce, I wish you could put this up on the screen right now because I just called it up. Can you imagine? Can, can you? Is there any way I can put this up on the screen, that cover? No, I guess we could do it while we're I'm wondering if I have it hanging here somewhere. I just, uh, I could put it in the chat. It doesn't matter though, I guess, if I put it in the chat. Um, but um, this well, is my only prop that second. I have. I only got one prop here. So well, that's, that's funny. This is, this is it. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Right. Uh, so you yeah. call, I mean, you get that call and you must just be, wow. Oh, it was, it was crazy. I got, so I get a page. We're in the, we're at the airport yeah. in Boston. The team had partied all night. Right. We're getting on a plane. Nobody had slept getting on a commercial plane to fly to Washington, which is never done, you know, has never been done again, I guess. Yeah. On the way back to L.A., we're going to stop in Washington, have a ceremony at the White House with President Reagan. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, at the gate waiting. I get a page on my pager. I recognize it as an SI number. I call it. It's, it's Eileen Miller, who's the photo editor. And she says, oh, well, I just want to let you know that, that, you know, you have the cover this week. And, you know, they had, <laughs> they had two, two staffers there and, and they took my film as maybe a courtesy. I don't know. And so I was like, so excited. This, oh. is, this is the God's honest truth. I was so excited. And I look over, I see Kareem is sitting like the chair, like a chair, <laughs> you know, reading a book. I don't know who to, to say. I go over to him and said, Cap unbelievable news i got a i got my first cover of si and it's a picture of you and he goes that's great kid (laughs) (laughs) the guys had like 35 covers at that point yeah right right he was he was on the cover when he was at power memorial probably exactly yeah that's hilarious uh that's my new york times when the new york times hired me that was like the same moment like oh my god wait i I'm validated in life. Forget yeah. about professional. I'm validated in life now. Yeah. Uh, that's is so cool, man. Yeah, you that's can awesome. relate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so. You know, like you, uh, every like you said, the great thing about these stories is, that, and the podcast is, you know, everybody thinks that you automatically got into this club um, by just showing up one day, and really, there are all these weird forks in the road and these things that had to happen like it like just the idea that eileen miller and the staff are looking at photos going you know what i like andy mercy's here like this is really good like boom that's a major moment oh you know? and so like you know and unbelievable moment so, I, I, you know these moments are like ingrained in my memory that i'll never forget them yeah well that's as, as i said like as much as as much as all these guys always talk about winning titles and how it validates them, what I always, whether it's Willis Reed, Shaq, wherever, you talk to them years later and it's like, it's about the relationships. Yeah. It's about this. It's about the journey. It's not about the destination. It was about the journey we went through. Mm-hmm. And in, in media, in media fashion, that's our story in many ways. And so yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, you, you spent overtime with us. It's been awesome. Uh, you know, it's uh, and I'm glad that we can put up the pictures too. I think that's going to even make it that much stronger. Well, thanks so much, guys, to both of you. I really appreciate it. So much fun. Mike, I miss seeing you. I miss seeing all my journalists. Oh, thanks, man. But at some point, you know, we'll be down in, in yeah. the media again, I'm sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there'll be a there'll be a moment, whether it's if not this year, next year, where yeah. we uh, kind of end up at the end up in a in a in a hospitality room at a hotel going, holy shit, what was that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was dope. <laughs> 
thanks to my guest, Hall of Fame photographer and podcast host, Andy Bernstein. That's Legends of Sport, kiddies. Get it. Also, thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein. No relation. Bruce, it's your big moment. Hit us with the promos, my friend. Uh, thanks, Mike. Andy was amazing. And uh, <laughs> yes, we need to uh, thank our wonderful editor, Kristen Woolley. As you mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show, this show is available on our Pure Hoops Media YouTube channel. And Kristen is going to do a great job really mixing in Andy's photos with the presentation. It's going to be beautiful. So please check out all of our Pure Hoops Media shows. We have Full Court with Fisher and Kay every uh, Tuesday, Best in College Hoop. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin is here every Wednesday. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure each Thursday. And the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman every Friday. And of course, you, my man, Mike, with a new Mike Wise show every Monday. Also, we just released part two of our two-part series with George Raveling and Wayne Embry on Dave's front office. The Hall of Famers joined Dave Wool and shared stories of their battles against discrimination and overcoming prejudice to reach the top of the basketball world. In part two, George tells the story about working security for Dr. Martin Luther King during his I Have a Dream speech in 1963 and how the speech got its name after the fact. And please check out our YouTube channel with dozens of great segments, including my very unplugged conversation with Lakers Governor Jeannie Buss. Go to YouTube and search for Pure Hoops Media. Bruce, I think I'll finish it out with this. Hopefully the year 2021 is when we snuff out this pandemic. Get your vaccinations when you qualify for it. I don't care what you've heard, what, the, what you think. Just get on the list, get your shot in your arm. Let's protect each other. Wear the mask in public to protect yourselves and others. Wash your hands, keep your distance and be considerate of others. And keep all the medical professionals in your prayers. Till next time, aloha. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.